Okay, so we're doing a little bit of a um, a little bit of a different RUF tonight, and um, I don't have a mic, so I'm just going to try to talk a little bit louder. And um, so most of you have been with us if you're here tonight, and you know that we've been doing a series on the Apostles' Creed, and we've come to that part to to talk about the line where we say, "I believe from thence Jesus He shall come to judge the quick, the alive, and the dead." And so what I want to do tonight, though, is think about Jesus as king. Basically, when we say that, what we're saying is Jesus is the king. He alone can judge the nations. He alone can judge us. But what I want to do in particular, since it is an election night, and that only happens, um, you know, once so often in our lives, uh, every four years, to be exact. Uh, so uh, what I want to do is think about, in particular, how uh, essentially what the politics of Jesus as king are. And so the, the, what, what I've called tonight is, um, it's really a question, is, is was Jesus and is Jesus a liberal or a conservative? That's the question we're asking tonight, and I, I think, I hope, you're going to be a little bit surprised as we look at a passage together and as we leave from this place. At least that's my hope for you tonight. Um, so what I want to do is look at a, a, a passage from the Gospel of Mark, and uh, if you brought a Bible, you can turn there. If not, there are actually are a few Bibles, too. Um, by the way, those pew Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, the uh, Columbia Evangelical has kind of said, if you want a Bible, please feel free to take one of the pew Bibles. They would love for you to do that. But we're going to look at Mark 12, and we're going to look at uh, verses 13 to um, 17. And if you grew up in the church, you, you probably you know this passage, and if not, just listen and follow along. <clears throat> Mark 12, uh, verses 13 to 17. I'm going to read it for us. And they sent to him, Jesus, some of the Pharisees, who were the conservatives of the day, and some of the Herodians, who were the liberals of the day, to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. And here's the trap question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you use it um, You use it to encourage us. You use it to challenge us. You use it to correct us. You use it to rebuke us. Jesus, we pray that you would make your word to us um, all these things and more tonight. And that, it would go from, that we would go from this place hearing from you. Um, and that we would go from this place uh, hearing exactly what you want us to hear. And we pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So I by no means am a historian, and I by no means am I'm kind of a history buff. In fact, I was just telling some guys as we started tonight that part of that reason is uh, we all had weird, uh, well, a lot of us had weird history teachers, especially in high school. And my story is I literally had the football coach. I'm talking like the guy that wore, like, this is in the 90s, so I'm not that old, but the guy that wore, like, the, 
They're like baseball pants, but they're cut off, you know, like the little like football coat shorts. Like he would wear that to class. And literally he would open the textbook and just read to us <laughs> from the history textbook in class. And it was just, it was incredibly, incredibly painful. But I have always loved, uh, Lincoln is the movie that's coming out in a couple weeks. And I've always loved the story and the line from Lincoln when he was, and that great quote, you probably have heard it before, when he's looking at the Civil War and he has that quote, that quote where he says, uh, you know, we, uh, we don't pray that God is on our side, but we pray that we are on are his side. Now, part of me loves that because I do, one of the things that makes me nervous about politics today is it does make me a little nervous that we should be very, very slow to try to bring God onto our side. Like that is, I do sort of appreciate the old school approach that says, listen, there's a little, we don't always know exactly what side God's on. Let's pray and let's seek and let's hope we're on his side. But the question tonight is, what is his side? Is he liberal? Is he conservative? What is his side? What is Jesus' side? And there are two things I want to look at tonight. Two questions we're going to ask. The first, very simple. First is, what were Jesus' politics? And I think this passage has something really, really important. Whether you, whether you consider yourself a liberal, or whether you consider yourself a conservative, or whether you consider yourself more moderate, wherever you come, I think this passage, what we're going to see from Jesus here is actually really, really interesting, and hopefully it's going to challenge you. So first we're going to ask, what were the politics of Jesus? Which side was he on? But then the second thing I'm going to ask is, how does that affect us, our politics, essentially? How does that affect us politically? And that's, we're going to be a little bit shorter tonight, and so those are the two questions I want to do. And here's the first thing I want to look at, is what were the politics of Jesus? And what's interesting is in this passage, you see what's happening. You've got, on the one hand, the Pharisees, who were the conservative of the conservatives. These were the Tea Party people. These were the people who were incredibly not only... Not only, uh, not only religiously conservative, but incredibly politically conservative. And then you have this group, the Herodians. And the Herodians were more, they were the liberals of the day. They were very, very faithful to the state and very, very faithful to Caesar. And here both parties come together and they want to know one thing about Jesus. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And what's interesting is, is the tax they're talking about is actually what's called a head tax. And essentially what it was, was you paid this tax. It was not expensive. It was just one denarius and you paid it to sort of say, we belong to the Roman, we're, we're Roman citizens. We belong to Rome, we belong to Caesar. So they, they bring Jesus here, and they want him simply to say, they want it to be very simple. They want him to say, yes, pay the taxes. That's what the Herodians want him to hear, want him to say. And the Pharisees want him to say, no, revolt, set up the kingdom of God. You do not pay the taxes. And so they put him in this trap. What is Jesus going to say? And what's interesting is Jesus does this thing. So if you watch the debates at all, like I have no idea. I'm not an incredibly political person. Some of you are. Like some of you are itching to leave this place and go put on Fox News or go put on CNN and just like watch the debates. And you're like salivating at that idea. That's not me. And that's not some of you too. That's why, which is why you're here at RF tonight. Um, but wherever you come, they want Jesus to, to very simply answer, and Jesus refuses to do three things. And this is what I want you to see. This is how Jesus relates to politics. There are three things you've got to get from this passage tonight. Here they are. Here's the first. Is Jesus refuses political simplicity. He refuses political simplicity. What do I mean by that? Some things in Jesus' teaching he makes very, very simple. Like when he talks about your, like our relationship to him, he makes it, he spells it out, it's very, very simple. But some things Jesus says are incredibly complex. And here he says politics are one of those things. The way we relate to the state is actually one of those things Jesus says is not simple, it's actually complex. 
Um, here's what's funny is uh, this is what happens in an election season is undoubtedly you get, especially from parents, so like from my mom, we get those sort of emails or those conversations where your parents or someone like your parents, or maybe it's just friends, and they will say to you, and you get this on both sides, but they'll say, I don't see how in the world a Christian could vote for, or I don't see if a Christian with the brain could vote for, you fill in the blank. And the problem is, when you do that, There are two things that are a problem with that. Here's the first. If Jesus did not align himself with a political party in his day, who in the world are you to align him with a political party in our day? Right? Like if Jesus didn't do that and say, yeah, I'm with the Pharisees, let's go. Or yeah, I'm putting up the signs, the Herodian signs in my front yard. Woo! This is my party. This is what I'm about. If Jesus didn't do that, how dare you do that? Now, here's why you do that, though. It's typically the way you do that is you take one issue and you say, if you are a Christian, how could you vote for someone who believes that? Or how could you vote for someone who doesn't support this? And the problem is, is you're you're being way too simplistic. So let's just take a couple. Let's just take some simple examples. So we went, uh, one of the things, the most helpful things we did for my group, so I worked at Georgia Southern uh, for five years, and Georgia Southern was, imagine Clemson, but a little bit more redneck, and, uh, which is, it's just Georgia Southern was like the most rural, it was the most, in some ways, conservative place that you could be. And we took this trip to Chicago to work with this inner city mission, and the guy that was leading it, this was, this was right as the 2008 campaign was happening, And the guy that was leading it sort of said he blew my students' minds because he talked about all the impoverished families around him and how actually they loved Obama because Obama stood for them. He stood for racial injustice. He stood for health care reform. He stood against corporate greed. And he blew my students' mind because here is this guy who's a white upper-middle-class guy from Michigan which is sort of the northern, if you've ever been in it's sort of the northern version of South Carolina. He's from Michigan, from this rich family, but he comes and works in this impoverished, racially mixed place in Chicago and says, this is part of what it means to seek the kingdom of God. Do you think Jesus cares about racial injustice? Do you think Jesus cares about people having... I don't know, Jesus, when he inaugurated his ministry, did all kind of what we would call health care. Like he healed people. Do you remember that? Do you remember that part of Jesus' ministry when he went around like healing people and like feeding people? So you understand that if that is what you're passionate about, you have a biblical reason to be passionate about it. And you have a biblical reason to be and follow a certain party. We could do it another way. Jesus, does Jesus care about the rights of the, of the unborn? Absolutely. But you understand that, that there are positions. I mean, I love the way that Tim Keller said it. Tim Keller, and a lot of this has come from him. He says, let's just take one biblical position. Let's take the idea of, of environmentalism, caring for the environment. Do you think the Bible has something to say about caring for the environment? Yeah, like if you ever read Genesis, that old part where it's like, hey, I created this. You guys take care of it. Do you remember that part? Because that's kind of in the Bible and important. And that's part of what Jesus is coming to restore. Is he's going to restore the new... That's why the tree's grown, right? So in a very real sense, you as a Christian could be like, Ralph Nader is my boy. Ralph Nader in 2008, you could say, Ralph Nader is my guy. 
Because the Bible and Jesus care about this. Do you understand that you can't, what you and I do is we make it simple and Jesus says no. If you align me with one political party, if you make it more simple, no. No. All right, so the first thing, he refuses political simplicity. Here's the second. He refuses political complacency. So on the one hand, he refuses political simplicity, but on the other hand, he refuses political complacency. And here's what I mean by that. Um, Sorry, let me uh, get that. Let's embrace this awkward moment. There we go. So he's, in, he's cautious. So here they come, they come to trap him. And he's, in, he's very, very cautious. But what he's not is he's not complacent. He doesn't say, this doesn't matter. Guys, this is just, just don't, why are you even worried about this? Don't bother with this. This doesn't matter. That's not what he says. There's not a sense of, oh, politics, you know, that's just, you shouldn't be worried about that. You shouldn't get involved with that. You shouldn't think about that. You shouldn't get, you know, you shouldn't be behind that or get behind something. And that's not what he does. It's funny, Jesus, if you remember his very first, the, you remember when he comes in the, the, um, the synagogue <clears throat> and the very first thing he reads if you remember the story of Jesus at all, the very first thing he reads is he takes this passage from Isaiah 61 and he says essentially this. He says, I've come to preach good news to the poor. I've come to bind up the brokenhearted and I've come to, to proclaim liberty to captives. Jesus' kingdom in a very real way. Sometimes when you and I think about the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus was all about, when we think about the kingdom of God, we totally do this thing where we like do this Western hallmark Oprah spiritual thing to it, and we're like, oh yes, the kingdom of God, I feel peace. I feel warm. It's like a it's like a it's like a um it's like a I want to call I want to say a slanket snuggie. It's like a actually my wife got me a slanket for uh, my birthday. A slanket is like the Rolls Royce of Snuggies because it's like real anyways. It's like a snuggie. The kingdom of God is like a snuggie that makes me feel better about myself. But Jesus says no, Jesus says no, like my kingdom. My kingdom actually meets the, the real needs of people, which means we cannot be, this is why politics matter, because politics have to do with re, the lives of real people that Jesus cares about, that his kingdom in so many ways is all about. And this is where I got convicted uh, last night, because over the last couple of so 2008 and then this year, inevitably you guys have come up to me and say, okay, can I ask this question, who did you vote for? And I've always had a line back then, and I have a line now. I say, well, actually, I don't vote. And the reason I don't vote is because if I were to say I voted for Obama, half of you would be incredibly offended and be like, RUF, what's this about? And if I said, if I said the other half of you I voted for Romney, another half of you would say, RUF, what is this about? And so what I choose to do is not vote. But so then I'm doing this, um, I had this weird experience last night. I'm just going to put it out here. I did this, uh, it was a podcast interview, which was a first for me, and I knew that one of the, it was a person asking questions about the kind of the whole Twitter stuff, and it was a weird deal in a lot of ways, but I knew the political question was going to come. And I was like, I didn't want to do it because I knew they were going to say, okay, where are you politically? And I knew I didn't, I was going to have to say what I just said to you. Well, actually, I'm not involved. But I think sometimes I'm lying to myself. Because I think sometimes the reason that I'm not more politically involved is the reason why a lot of you are politically complacent. It's on the one hand, you have despair that the world could actually change. That, that, that any person or any party could actually bring any good into the world and you have this incredible despair. Or on the other hand, you have indifference. You just don't really care about the, anyone's love, life but your own. 
And I think if I'm being honest with myself, I love to say, oh, well, I do it because I'm a pastor and I don't want to get into politics. Okay, fair point. We could talk about that. But I think if I'm being really honest with myself, sometimes it's because I don't really believe that politics can do any good or I don't really believe that they matter. And Jesus, this passage is a rebuke to me because Jesus says, be cautious. You can't be complacent. It does matter because people matter. So he refuses political simplicity. He refuses political complacency. Here's the last thing I want you to see is he refuses political primacy. He refuses political primacy. In other words, it's very simple. He's basically saying, okay, when he does the whole render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God's what is God's. It's a fascinating thing. We don't have time to get into that much, but here's what's going on there. Is he says, bring me, the, if you saw the passage, he says, bring me the coin. Whose face is on this coin? Whose image is on this coin? Give him what is, belongs to him. What belonged to Caesar was, give him his money. He had this money, he's got his image on it, give it to him. But then in a genius stroke, in a genius stroke that left them just in awe of this man, he said, but give what God's image is owned to God. And what is God's image on? You. So you see what he's saying? Absolutely. There are things that belong, there are things that belong, that, we, that belong to the governing forces. I'm sure. But you and your allegiance ultimately belong to God. And here's what that means. Is ultimately you cannot, there is no party. There is no candidate. There is no program that deserves your full ultimate allegiance. Jesus Christ alone. What that means is you can be part and supportive of a party, but also critical. You can be behind a candidate, but also realistic about that candidate. Because here's what we do. Here's what you and I do is we get behind one person and we lionize this person. You know what that means? We like build him up. He's, you know, and then we demonize the other person. And just, I mean, if you've been on Facebook, you know, Facebook right now makes me just want to like talk about Snuggies. I just want to get in the Snuggie and like do like this makes me want to delete my Facebook account more than any time of the year. But Jesus refuses political promise because allegiance, ultimate allegiance belongs to him alone. And here's why. Is because he alone is the perfect king, and he alone is ushering in the perfect kingdom. There's a story coming out of um, the Clinton election that I've always loved. Where so uh, there's a Clinton, you know, this is in the '92 when he first got elected, and there's a story where James Carville was his campaign manager. And if you remember that, you actually some of you probably weren't even born then, but there's a story where he was actually uh, caught having this affair with Jennifer Flowers, and they thought they were sure. They were entirely sure that this was going to sink his campaign. That there was no way he was going to be able to survive this news of this affair. And Carville, in this very famous moment, said this. He, they were in a group of gathering, and they were just like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Carville, in this, in this moment, said, listen, guys, he's still going to win. It's the economy, stupid. It's the economy. And eventually he did win because of the economy. It was so bad under Bush one that Clinton actually won. And when I think about Carville's line, here's what I want to say to us as Christians. Here's why we, you and I, there can't be political primacy. There, in other words, there, there can't be, you and I cannot align ourselves with one party and say, if you're a Christian, you have to be part of this party. You and I can't do that. Here's why. Because the only thing that ever is going to bring change, the only thing that is our ultimate hope for people and for this, you know, for, for America, for the world, is the gospel. 
And part of me wants to say to me and to you tonight, it's the gospel, stupid. It's the gospel. And this is the last thing I want you to see tonight. This is the second thing, last thing. So how does the gospel actually change the way you and I do politics? And there are simply two things I want you to see. Uh, Two things I want you to see about how it changes us politically. Here's the first. Is it actually moves us, it moves us from one place to another. If the gospel is at work in your life, here's a great litmus test. Is it moves you from one place to another along the political spectrum. Now, now here's what's interesting. Is when I say that you think, oh, which way? Guess what? Both ways. Let me, two examples of this. Two friends that the gospel is at work in their lives, and the way I know the gospel is at work in their lives is, is this politically move them along a spectrum because they started at an incredibly self-righteous place. One of my friends started as an incredibly self-righteous Democrat through and through and through. And you know what the gospel has done since he became a Christian? It's moved him to where he actually gave money this year to the Romney campaign. Another friend used to be an incredibly self-righteous conservative you know, was a, was a campaigner for Bush, Bush too. And you know how I know the gospel's at work in his life? In 2008, he voted for Obama. Do you see what happened? This guy got humbled and said, you know what? Republicans get some things right. But you know what? I have completely ignored social injustice. And Jesus actually cares about that. And I need to learn that. I'm going to go, I'm actually, I think the Bible is so important about that that I'm actually going to go learn and I'm going I'm to vote for this man because he's doing a better job. This guy used to be a pretty avid supporter of abortion. And then he said, you know what? The Bible actually brings me away from that. And I actually think, for me right now, this means I've got to follow these guys who actually do a better job of thinking through that. But you understand when the gospel is at work in your life, here's why it moves you along a political spectrum. It moves you because it humbles you. And part of being humbled is you say, ah, I was, here's what I hope happens to you. This is, enough, this is the way you know Jesus is at work in your life, is you can look at yourself four years ago and say, God, who is that guy? Who is that girl? What a proud fool they were. What an arrogant little turd they were. I mean, like, I, like, I, if you can't say that about yourself, how, how is Jesus at work in your life? All right, so the first thing is that it moves you along a political spectrum from one place to another. Here's the last thing I want you to see. Is it actually moves you to be more, not less political. The gospel actually moves you to be more, not less political. Two reasons why. Because when you're being humbled, when you say part of what we just sang, come you sinners, and you say the only fitness he requires is to feel your need for him. What you're saying is I'm a mess. And I'm a mess that needs Jesus. And you know what? I'm a mess who has that in common with the rest of humanity. And so it brings you off your high horse. It brings you off your theological high horse, but it also brings you off your political high horse. It humbles you. And when you're humbled, guess what? You're willing to enter into conversations with people who are different than you. You're willing to work with people who are different than you. You're willing to listen to people who are different than you. Which actually makes you more political. Do you see that? But here's the second reason. Not only does it humble you, it actually makes you more hopeful. Like you, <laughs> all right, here's where, here's where it's hard for me. I have a naturally cynical heart. I want to look at all of you and say BS. I want to look at any candidate and say BS. And part of that is because I have a cynical heart. And the gospel, what it's doing in me, is hopefully what it's doing in you, is it's actually making you more hopeful. 
Because, we, what, because Jesus is on the throne? And because Jesus is at work? And because Jesus actually is at work and uses political parties and political people and political systems? <coughs> so it actually makes you more involved. It makes you care more about getting invested and getting involved. So, to the question, was Jesus a liberal or a conservative? Yeah. Yes. He's too conservative for you to make him the liberal hero. And he's too liberal for you to make him the conservative hero. Another way of saying it is Jesus is more liberal than the liberals in his care and compassion for people. Jesus is more conservative than the conservatives in his desire for truth and his desire for rightness. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you're king. Lord, we thank you that we can trust you and look to you, especially in these times. Lord, we do entrust ourselves to you. We entrust our, our country to you. And we thank you, Lord, that regardless of tonight's results, um, you are the king and your will is done. And you know what you're doing far more than we. And we take comfort in that tonight. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming. Uh, we're actually not going to do cookout tonight. We don't have any more songs, do we? Not doing cookout tonight, so you